Matthew chapter number 13 this afternoon. <clears throat> Can I get a couple of hymn books? Do you mind if I find me? If you got a couple of hymn books laying down there? Maybe right here. Any book will be fine. Something I can build up my Bible with here. Those, those commentaries. Are these new? Okay. All right. This is part of my love offering now. Amen. Thank you very much, sir. Amen. I just need to build this up a little bit. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity to stand here with a great responsibility to preach today. I'm going to ask you to turn to the 13th chapter of Matthew. This is what I've been preaching on in our church and what I have on my heart for the meeting today. And I've been encouraged. I'm very thankful for what I've learned, what I've heard this week. God has certainly challenged my life and my heart. Being here makes me want to keep going on. I'm thankful for it, but to tell you the truth, as I've been in this meeting, there's some things I'm thinking about quitting. Some of y'all are making me want to quit. I don't think I'm ever going to try to sing bass again. I only sing bass well in the morning time and after I've had about a three-week bout with the flu. And after hearing Mike Holcomb for all of these days, I think I'm going to quit my bass singing. I'm feeling bad about that. And after hearing Brother uh, Chris Simpson preach today, I think I might quit preaching. <laughs> but to be honest with you, I, uh, I look at Brother Gravely and I feel better about being a husband. I can tell you that. Amen. <laughs> I do feel like I can go on in that way. I sort of feel like, <laughs> I sort of feel like the... Uh, the fellow that called his wife on the phone, she was on her way to Walmart, had to get on the interstate and go to the Walmart and uh, sort of feel like the husband that called her and said, honey, be careful. I just saw on Fox News that somebody's driving the wrong way on the interstate. Some idiot is going the wrong way. And she said to her husband, she said, no, there are hundreds of people that are driving the wrong way on the interstate right now. With a message like this, I sort of feel that way. Uh, but... Uh, Matthew chapter number 13 is where the Lord has my heart fixed, and I hope that you'll read with me carefully verse number 47 uh, through verse number 50. I'll be very careful about our time, Pastor. I, I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to do this, and I'll be careful about the time. Matthew chapter number 13. I want to preach this afternoon about a parable on hell. In the 13th chapter of Matthew, Jesus is giving us parable after parable after parable. As a matter of fact, I, I've read seven parables that are given in the 13th chapter of Matthew. These are truths that we would not understand had we not been given some form of illustration that gives us a better insight and a better appreciation of what they mean. And so it wasn't uncommon at all for Jesus to say the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he would give an illustration, a topical illustration, if we could use that word, to tell us about the nature of the kingdom, the nature of the end of the world, the nature of heaven, the nature of hell, the nature of reward. Uh, like a man that went forth to sow seed, and he sowed seed indiscriminately in four different kinds of ground. And as the seed settled into the ground, only one kind of ground brought forth fruit. We know the parable of the sower and the seed, the parable of the treasure hidden in a field, uh, the parable of the pearl of great price. I mean, on and on and on this chapter goes. One of the more unfamiliar parables in the 13th chapter of Matthew is recorded in verse number 47 through verse number 50, and it is a parable about coming judgment. 
I'd like for you to look at it with me for a little while this afternoon. Beginning in verse number 47, we read the words of our Lord. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The parable of the net that is cast into the sea is a parable about judgment. It is a a parable about a prophesied coming predestined ordained day when God will separate the good from the bad. When God will separate the saved from the lost. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. and They that have done evil, according to John chapter number 5, unto a resurrection of damnation. This separation is coming right now. This parable is very much like the parable of the tares among the wheat. If you were to go up a little further into Matthew chapter number 13, you would find Jesus speaking a parable concerning how the enemy comes and sows tares among the wheat. And the disciples' concern is that how will we separate between the two? And you remember what Jesus said? He said, it's not your responsibility to separate between the two. Wait until the judgment. And at the judgment, hear me well, at the judgment, I will separate the wheat from the tares. In this parable, the picture revolves around the separation of good fish from bad fish. But in both parables, we are shown how unbelievers are allowed to coexist among believers in this generation. That God tolerates the just to live among the unjust. Both parables speak of a coming separation of the righteous from the wicked. Both parables tell us that angels will be employed by the Lord himself and given the commission to separate the good out from among the bad as the saved are severed out of this world, eternally to be separated from the wicked damned. Both parables tell us or speak of a coming day of judgment. Both the parable of the tares among the weed and the parable of the good fish among the bad fish caught into a net repeat the fact that the wicked will be damned and will eternally be tormented in a place that is called a furnace of fire where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Both parables tell us that. The particular parable that I'm preaching from this this afternoon, the parable of the net cast into the sea, is ultimately a parable about hell. The central note of this parable is found in the words of verse number 50. Look at your Bible. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Our Lord spoke much more about hell than he did about heaven. 
As a matter of fact, he said more about hell than he did about forgiveness. He said more about hell than he did about love. He said more about hell than he did about peace. He said more about hell than he did about redemption. In fact, Brother Dorsey, he said more about hell than all of the other New Testament authors combined. If we were to follow the track record of the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are obligated to preach on the realities of damnation and do it often. And I think that if Jesus hadn't taught us about hell, we wouldn't believe whoever did. It took Jesus in his words to tell us about this awful place or none of us would believe it. We could not conceive of the eternal damnation of the soul had it not been for Christ himself that preached it to us. And if we are to model our preaching after his, then hell will be a major theme of our pulpits in this generation. One writer said, there is no way to describe hell. Nothing on earth can compare with it. No living person has any real idea of it. No madman in wildest flights of insanity ever beheld its horrors. No man in delirium ever pictured a place so utterly terrible as this place called hell. No nightmare racing across a fevered mind ever produced a terror to match the mildest hell. No murder scene ever suggested a revulsion that could touch the borderlands of hell. Let the most gifted writer in dark arts exhaust his skill in describing this roaring cavern of unending flame and he would not even brush in fancy the nearest edge of the realities of hell. A young fool asked an old preacher in scorn, Hey preacher, where is hell? And that preacher said, Hell is at the end of every life that is lived without Christ. Jesus tells us about in parable form. Beginning in verse 47 through verse number 48. Number one, the picture. And in the picture we have the fishing of this parable. Notice the parable. Let's look right at what the Word of God says about it. Verse 47 through 48. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened likened to a net. This is so vivid. It's likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels but cast the bad away. The imagery that Jesus has chosen, the imagery that is inspired in the heart of Jesus to tell us about in this parable is the imagery of a net cast into the sea. It is a fishing parable. It is a fishing story. It's not uncommon for Jesus to preach on the shorelines of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, oftentimes he would launch out into a boat and he would preach from a boat back toward the shoreline as the multitudes gathered to hear him. No doubt, as he was standing there at the Sea of Galilee, he pointed to the employment of a fisherman who was fishing on the sea and he said, that is an illustration of the kingdom. When you watch fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, there were basically three kinds of fishing going on. Number one, there was a man who fished for one fish at a time with a line and a hook. You remember when when Peter didn't have enough money to pay his taxes? We've all experienced that. 
And Jesus said to Peter, you remember he said to Peter, you go down to the sea, you cast in a hook and one line, and you'll draw up a fish, and in that fish's mouth, there'll be a piece of money. You can take that money, and you can pay your taxes, and you can pay my taxes. So the first kind of fishing that we view at the Sea of Galilee was the fishing that employed a line and a hook. The second kind of fishing was with a net that they called an amphibolistron in the Greek language. It was a net that you would throw over your shoulder and at the bottom widest opening of the net there were weights. And the fishermen would wade out into the sea, uh, maybe waist deep, sometimes mid-level deep, up above his belly, maybe so, but he had to have enough leverage to throw the net so he couldn't go up above his chest. And he would cast, he would stand there until a school of fish would begin to swim around his feet. He'd get still and just wait for the fish to come in. And he would cast this net and it would, it would open up into a large circle and fall over this school of fish and the weights would carry it down to the bottom and he would draw it in and pull in that teeming life of fish and carry them back to the shore. That's the second kind of fishing that you would see at the Sea of Galilee. It's referred to in the Gospel of Matthew. The third kind of fishing is what Jesus has in mind in this parable. It was with a net that was large enough, so large that it had to be teamed, it had to be, uh, had to be used by a team of fishermen. This kind of fishing was not for one man or two men or five men. There were two boats that had to do this. One boat would sail out in this direction into the Sea of Galilee and the other boat would sail out into this direction in the Sea of Galilee and all the time they were dropping a seine net behind them. And as they completed the circle out in the Sea of Galilee, there were floats that were at the top of the net and weights at the bottom of the net and it would create a net wall in a large area of the sea. And when they enveloped that area, every kind of fish that was in the Sea of Galilee was inside of that area. That's what your text says, right? And so they would begin to draw the net with the ships back to the shore. Now listen to me. There were all kinds of fish in there. In the Sea of Galilee, there were clean fish and there were unclean fish. Clean fish could be used by Jews, could be sold at the shambles, could be eaten in their homes, but then there were also all kinds of catfish, which is an unclean fish because it doesn't have scales. There were bottom dwellers, which a Jew was not allowed to eat. It was a bad fish. And these fishermen would draw this net together and pull a teeming school of fish full of life back to the shore. And the Bible said that the fishermen would actually sit down at the shoreline and carefully, conscientiously, pick the fish up out of the net. There were bad fish that were cast away and there were good fish that were placed into a live well. And the Bible says to us that in the end of the world, do you see that in verse number 47 through verse number 48? In the end of the world, this is what the kingdom of God is going to look like. He will draw the net and the net becomes tighter and tighter and tighter. And every kind of fish will be caught inside of that net. 
says two things to me. Number one, the immense size of the net. That is very important to note in the parable. I think it's right in the thoughts of Christ as he spoke it. This was an enterprise that would demand a team of fishermen to haul to the shore. This net was intended to effect massive numbers in the catch. But it's not just the immense size of the net. It is also the inclusive catch of the net. Just like the parable of the tares among the wheat, this parable indicates that good and evil are currently being allowed to grow together. The rain still falls on the just and the unjust. The sun is still rising and setting on the just and the unjust. But the net of time is closing. And as the net closes, sinners do not realize, but as that net moves invisibly through the Sea of Galilee and gets tighter and tighter and tighter around their life, if they have not been converted, when the end comes... They will be numbered with the bad. And the angels will sever them. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. The angels will sever them from the righteous. The angels will pluck the good away from the bad. And the Bible says the bad will be cast away the slow deliberate careful patient unhurried knowledgeable accurate skillful process of sorting out the bad from the good in fact if you'll notice in verse number 48 look back at verse number 48 uh, you'll notice in verse number 48 this was such a tedious task among these fishermen that they sat down. It was something they did very carefully. It was something they did very patiently. They did it accurately. And I'm telling you, when the end comes, it'll be too late for you to make your mind up and there'll be no mistakes as to who was good and who was bad. The scene would be very common to the people to whom our Lord spoke, particularly the disciples that saw him preach at the shores of the Sea of Galilee time after time after time. They would take the good, and they had, even in the the equipment of the days of Christ, they had a sort of a live well. If you wanted to keep the fish alive to to get it down to the shambles so you could sell it as fresh product uh, to the people that were around Galilee during that time, they would keep the fish alive. If you didn't need it to be fresh, they would let it die right there on the shore side. The fish life and the Sea of Galilee becomes a semblance of the end of this age. That when the end comes, the rapture of the church, I'm telling you at the rapture, there is no time beyond it for you to make a decision about the eternal destination of your soul. There is no time beyond the end. You must make that decision now while the net is still open. Number two, not only do we find in this parable the picture, that is the fishing of the parable, then we find in verse number 49 the principle, and that is the future in this parable. Notice verse 49, so shall it be at the end of the world. Watch it. Everything up to this point has been pictures, but now through the pictures of the parable, we find the future described. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among 
the just. There's a lot to be said about this parable. Many sermons could be preached about this parable. Many lessons could be applied. But the Lord is only interested in one element of this message, and that is the separation process. The separation is the point. If you want to know the idea behind the parable, verse number 49 gives it in in bold doctrine. On the shore, as the fishermen separated the good from the bad, the Lord Jesus preached about a future separation of which they were watching a picture of that would one day be prophesied to become a reality. It will become a reality. This is the same scenario that Jesus illustrated in the parable of the tares among the wheat. In fact, if you've got your Bible open in Matthew 13, look back at verse 41 and 42. Right now we coexist in a world with unbelievers, right? This is simple. Right now we're allowed to coexist in a world with unbelievers. But look at verse number 41 and 42 at the end of the parable of the tares among the wheat. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It is Christ. It is Christ that has said this. Jesus said in the parable that we have read today in verse 49 through verse number 50 of the same words, so shall it be at the end of the world. The angels will come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. As the net of time closes, that's the illustration. As the net of time closes, men and women in that, that are enclosed in that net are very much like fish caught in a net. They dart into this direction and they brush their scales against the net on this side and they feel a sense of uh, they feel a sense of anguish, they feel a sense of fear. It's very like much very much like men in this dispensation that are confronted with the gospel, that are confronted with the doctrine of hell, they're confronted with the doctrine of redemption, they're confronted with the doctrine of being born again and they feel the spirit brush up against them and they dart away from it like a fish that's just about to be caught in a net and they dart away thinking that they have found a new freedom and they swim around for a while in that newfound freedom and then they find that their scales brush up against the net on this side and they dart back to this direction not knowing that this freedom that they have found is a limited freedom because the net is closing. They hear the gospel and they walk away and they go commit more fornication and they go do more drugs and they go to find peace at the bottom of an alcohol bottle. And they think that they have found a new freedom that has given them a new sense of fulfillment when all the time the net is closing. The net is closing. The net is closing. Men live in this world imagining themselves to be free. They're not free, they're in bondage. Uh, Am I telling what the Bible says? Only Christ makes us free. They're in bondage. 
They're moving about, fulfilling their desires and going here and there as they will with little knowledge that time is coming to an end. And finally, they've moved one time more and they've hit the net and become entangled in a truth that will not let them go. that after you die, you will meet God. Notice verse 49. The Bible said in verse number 49 that the angels become God's employed executioners. So shall it be at the end of the world, the angels shall come forth and sever. Preacher, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about that word sever. I feel oppressed to talk about that word sever for a while. It's a violent word. It didn't just say that they would be separated out. It didn't just say that they would be parted. There are other places that those terminologies are used, but the word that Jesus used here was that they would be severed. They would be pulled apart, separated by divine strong hands, forever damned. In Matthew chapter 25 Verse number 31 through verse number 34, we read these words, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate from them one, them one for another. As a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, He shall set the sheep on His right hand and the goats on His left. Separated. There will be a final separation according to the book of Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11. As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God doesn't want you to be separated from grace. He doesn't want you to be separated from mercy. He doesn't want you to be separated from redemption. But if you continue to live as you are living, the separation is still coming. Let me close. We see the perishing That is the fatality in this parable. Verse 50. Jesus said, And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is what Jesus said about hell in Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 12. He said, Those that go there are the unprofitable. The unprofitable shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew chapter 11, verse number 23, Jesus said, And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, thou shalt be brought down to hell. Jesus said of the hypocritical scribes and Pharisees, How can ye escape the damnation of hell? He said, The the gate is wide, the way is broad that leadeth to destruction, and many many there be which go in thereat. Time after time after time, Jesus said to us that people who are in hell come to realize two eternal agonies that the worm never dies and the fire never goes out. When someone dies, their body is placed into the ground. Of course, the body is left behind. The soul and spirit are gone. You and I have stood beside dozens of caskets where a body is in the casket and we see the beginning of corruption of that body. The body is lowered into the ground and worms begin to eat it. 
And as long as the body is intact, the worms have something to eat. But when all of the flesh of the body is gone, the worms have nothing else to eat and the worms die. So in the resurrection of damnation, unbelievers will be given a body that cannot be fully consumed. The feeling of worms devouring the body lasts eternally because the body is eaten but never consumed, eaten but never consumed, eaten but never consumed. So is the case with the fire. There are three things you have to have with a fire to keep it burning. If you take fuel out of that equation, the fire goes out. So is the case in the eternal damnation of the wicked dead. They will be given a resurrection body that is fit for eternal damnation and the fire will burn them. They'll feel the full effect of the fire, but they won't be consumed. They will burn and burn and burn and burn. Begging. In one story that Jesus told about hell, which was not a parable, he said the man begged for just one drop of water to be comforted during his time of agony. And the whole parable is built around our understanding that this separation is coming. If you're not prepared, the rapture catches you unprepared, the separation begins, and you will be numbered with the unprofitable. You will be numbered with the damned. You will be numbered with the unredeemed and there is no chance of redemption. The net is drawn. Let's pray. Father, we certainly need your spirit to speak today. Father, you know my heart. I've, I've just done my best to mind what you have said today and that's all I wanted to do.